This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Friday afternoon. Great to have you with us on the show. Lots to come over the next couple of hours as we mix it and match it. If you want to get in touch, I'll remind you of the numbers 086-1800-658. You can WhatsApp or text me. Or if you want to call in, it's 1850-715-958. You've heard the news, I'm sure, by now about Ulster Bank leaving uh, the Republic of Ireland over the next couple of years. And of course... There's a lot of angst for the staff working there, we think of them today, and people who have mortgages and savings, etc., with them. But uh, I wouldn't do much at the moment. I'd just sit tight for the time being. It's only been announced today, and uh, you can't really do anything in, in the short term. But, you know, I was just thinking, has anybody got the Henry Hippo money box? It was a big thing in Ulster Bank. Uh, you'd bring your children in to open an account, and you'd get a Henry Hippo uh, saving box, you know, the money box. Has anyone got them still out there? Has anyone got a Henry Hippo Ulster Bank money saving box? Just one of those crazy thoughts that passed through my mind when I was thinking of Ulster Bank. But I know it was an attractor for children to open accounts and get them saving from they were small. If you have the Henry Hippo, just let me know. Has anybody got them out there? 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me. If you have it, take a snap of it, will you? Take a photograph of it and WhatsApp it into me on the show. I'd love to see it because I have it in my mind's eye. But if you have one, I'd just like to remind myself what it was actually like. Welcome to the show. Sport uh, with Leon Blanche looking ahead to the big weekend in Premier League football coming up after three in the show. I'll complete the John Denver story with you. Uh, Keen Sullivan is with us and he's paying tribute to his late sister Arwen. And if you can't sleep, Helena Tuberty's here. She'll 
get shut eye. She'll organise shut eye for you, I promise you. She's brilliant and she's talking to us about sleep and if you're struggling with it after two o'clock on the show today. But my first guest, I'll tell you how I came across him. It was actually my son mentioned him to me and I went in and did a little Google search on him and I watched a very interesting uh, piece on him on RTE some years ago and then I started to dig a little more and I said, geez, I want to have a chat with this fella on the show because he's an entrepreneur and business mentor and he's on the line to chat to me. Joe Doyle, hello. Thank you for having me today, Jerry. Not at all. You're very welcome to Late Lunch. Listen, I, 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 I'm, I'm intrigued by you because I just want to go back to the beginning, the beginning. You were in your early 20s in this feature in RTE at the time and you'd uh, accumulated uh, quite a bit of property. Joe, can I ask you this? What are you by trade and, and what put you down this road of starting to uh, put a portfolio together? Uh, my trade was a bricklayer, but it's you know it's a long time since I actually laid a block. Now at this stage, I actually packed in the bricklaying shortly after I finished my apprenticeship, and uh, I started building a couple of houses for myself, and just got the that was that was my gig. I wanted to I wanted to create some I wanted to start and try and create some wealth for myself in my life, and went all right for a few years, and then I fell off a cliff. To be honest. <laughs> And that was with the crash in the Celtic Tiger. Obviously, you were like many others. The banks were no bother throwing money at you back then. Oh, exactly. Yeah, well, like it was it was easy enough to get the money at the time. The problem was when stuff went wrong, then they yeah. wanted it back. You know. So, yeah. yeah. We we know that story. <laughs> oh yeah. Listen, don't, don't talk to me about it and so many others as well. Well, just to to uh, on on the feature naughty, which was about a half an hour, and uh, as I said, I was intrigued by it. You you had debts of what about four million at the time? No, it was just a couple of grand show you three million because three. the threshold to go into Nama was three All right. million. Okay, and I just I just was under that, so it was kind of a little bit awkward in that I didn't really fit into any particular box. Yes, um, and I had to, like basically the, the the values of the properties was like a third of what it was. It, it was crazy, you know. Yeah, um, and then the the mortgages would need to be paid back, and the terms had expired, and all sorts of stuff. And uh, it was just a documentary for anyone that didn't see it. It was it was basically a kind of a, a snapshot in time of how I was dealing with it. Yes. Um, at the time, and people always message me say, "Well, how did you get on? How did you get on in the end?" Because uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was. Well, I'm still alive. That's <laughs> You're more than alive, let me say. But look at yeah. three million, three four million. What's a million between friends? Three million for a small guy like you at the time when the squeeze was coming on to recoup as much as they could with the banks. How did it work out? Because, you know, the options in front of you, bankruptcy wasn't really an option in Ireland at that stage. You would have had to go to the UK. You could have gone insolvent or restructuring. And it left me thinking as well at the end, how did that work out? What did you do in the end of the day? Yeah, so the options, well, I, look, I didn't go bankrupt. I stayed put. I, I fought to and nail and I sorted it out and I paid everyone back. And it was a, like it basically took five or probably six years of my walking life or just wiped out in starting this drama that, that came with that, you know. Um, but to be honest, in a, in a strange way, I'm actually very grateful for it now because I'm 36 years old now. Um, my my businesses are stronger than ever before. My my portfolio was multiples of the size of what it was back then. And I know what it's like to, you know, become a part of something when the, when the tide is shifting, if that makes sense. And, you know... It's not something that was that's received very well in Ireland is in comparison to other countries where it's it's kind of saying that well look fair play to this guy he had a go and now he's back on his feet. So I'm I'm happy that I got that and as I say to people, I've been there, I've been down the potential bankruptcy route, I ain't going back there, it's out of my system now. 
I could just focus on growing my business and, and making money. So you broke your back. You didn't lose what you had. You paid... Oh, I did. I did. did I you? lost a good bit, now, to be honest. Did yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. lost a good bit of sleep and, and, a, and a good bit of property as well. Okay, so you, you, you did lose at the end of the day. But you didn't go bankrupt. As you say, you're here today and you've come back strongly. And that's what I want to get on to in a moment. So, look, you felt the full chill winds of the crash of the, of, of the Celtic Tiger. I just saw you um, the other day, very recently, tweeting a quote. You said this. Your best teacher is your last mistake oh yeah 100% so you are living that the mistakes you've made along the way that was a big one there were probably more as well each of those teaches you something makes you better or you know more prepared for the future 100% like every every single thing that went wrong on me in them days you know I've got it documented I, I learned I learned from those lessons and I move forward and and now I've actually, I, I help other people avoid those mistakes because, you know, some people could say, like, is, is that greed that pushed me to do what I've done back in the time? But I, I would class it as ambition. You know, I'm a bricklayer from a council estate. I'm on a mission to make 100 million quid. Sometimes I chat with people and they're a little bit taken aback. Maybe even your listeners here today will say, what, this guy wants to make 100 million quid? He's off the rails. Well, it takes just as much thought to say I want to make 50 million as it does to want to take, as it takes to say I want to make 100 million. So just go out and do it. Do good business, connect with people, create value for people along the way. And, and that's what I do. I teach other people how I've managed to do what I'm doing as well. And it's, a, it's kind of a perpetual circle of growth for everybody that's involved. I nearly fell off the chair when you said that figure myself there a minute ago. But here, come on, let's Joe get real here. You're an exception. You know, you have something uh, different to others. Everyone can't be multimillionaires. Well, well I tell you what I believe I have the exception of. And people are also like, why does he even say that? I grew up in the land of opportunity. So I grew up in an estate called Greenfort in Clondalkin. So Clondalkin, part of Clondalkin is not the most affluent part of Dublin. And then Greenfort is, is on the lower end of the scale in terms of affluence in there, right? We won't get into that. But I was very lucky in that if I reached for success and I failed, I didn't have very far to fall. I didn't need to have a 500 grand mortgage and 50 grand worth of cars sitting in the driveway just to blend in with my neighbours. I just needed to qualify for a council house like all my other buddies and I blended in there. So that opportunity for me was I realised that if I fail here, it doesn't make the least bit of difference to anybody who I interact with. They don't care where I'm at because we're all the same. So when I had that safety net, I'm like, I may as well just shoot for the stars here because if I fail, it's no big deal. If I fail, I'm no worse than, than, than my buddies who just didn't start. So really, you're a straw man. <laughs> you know the saying. You know that that uh, not entirely. You know you're not entirely. You know a straw yeah, man has nothing. What that means. Uh, you know, a straw man has nothing. You know, nothing at all. Uh, you know, you say you hadn't far to fall. Okay, you don't have a big commitment on a house, car loans, etc. like that. So you have minimum exposure. You're above the the straw man a, a little bit there. But look at here. Back then, yeah. Or, or as 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 I heard someone say one day, you know, you can't take the trousers off a bare arse. You know, we started with nothing. <laughs> yeah. So anything that I made was a bonus, you know? 
you have the twist all right on the tongue yeah. you have the gift of the gab there's no doubt uh, about that but look at today you move on from that you learn your lessons I know as well I remember seeing you on Dragon's Den I, I, that's, I can still remember that because I was a, an ardent follower and Barry O'Sullivan did invest in you you had an idea about you know uh, uh, t- when people were letting properties that you would vet the people coming in and ultimately you did, he invested in you but it didn't work another lesson learned Joe another one of my glorified failures exactly yeah um, lesson learned and th- like a, a lesson that I, I learned a lesson from that business that I, I never forget every single day and, and that is that I don't go one day without validating any business that I'm getting involved in or any investment that I'm getting involved in so um, I've, anything that I'm involved in is very basic very simple um, I'm not really involved in anything speculative it has to stack up today because that business was something that I was putting a lot of effort into it walking down the line and just down the line never came. And in my head, I kind of picture it as I was setting up this big party. And when I opened the doors for the party, nobody wanted to come. And it was, you know, it was embarrassing at the time. And I had to, I had to eat a bit of humble pie. And, and I lost Barry O'Sullivan's money as well at the same point, to be honest, you know. So today, are you still in property? Do you have a, a, a sway the properties there? What businesses are, are you at? You were at the property maintenance game. Is that still part of what you do? Yeah, so, so my journey was I started off as a bricklayer and then I became a builder. Um, had a small building company. And when I had a small building company, I was picking up a couple of properties here and there. And then I left. The, then I was in the building game and all this, this stuff hit the fan, as you say. And it took me a few years to, to get things sorted out there. And then when I got that sorted, I said I was going to leave the building game. And I went all in on the properties. And now, now we, you know, we'd be one of the biggest private landlords in, in, uh, in, in my part of the city. Business is really good for us there. We're growing all the time. We're providing much-needed social housing to people where there's just not enough social housing. And it's, it's going really well on that. And outside of that, I, I basically help other tradesmen who have not taken the steps I've, I've taken towards accumulating wealth. And I basically help them do what I've managed to do with the exception of, of almost making themselves bankrupt after five or six years. So I help them learn from my mistakes and I help them improve and and grow portfolios of their own and build their own business as well. You know, landlords get a bad rap. You, 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 you're well aware of this because you've been on and off many other radio stations and interviews, I, I know as well, about it. You know, especially ones who have an extensive uh, portfolio. You know, there are a lot of people got into this inadvertently with one or two properties many moons ago and a lot out of it now at this stage. Do you think it, at times the flack is unfair? Look, 100%. There's, like, it's, there's nobody that understands the dynamics of what's going on here that would actually blame a landlord. The only people that blame landlords is kind of opposition politicians and people who don't understand what's going on. Like, a landlord, and let's say a landlord and an investor is the same person for, for the sake of this conversation, right? So, a landlord, an investor is somebody who can turn a green field into a block of apartments or can turn a green field into 10, 20, 30 houses. And if there's people out there that are on the housing list for many, many years from the council and they're still many, many years away and investors can come together, put their knowledge together, put their capital at risk and create homes for these people so that they're not in hostels, they're not in sheltered accommodation, they're not on the streets, they're not sofa sofa. What is the problem? I just, you know, I've yet to have a, a, a conversation with one person and it actually makes sense as to why landlords are, are the problem here. And everybody has a story, kind of an anecdotal story, but, you know. 
Yeah, but I think, Joe, what you say is uh, well and fine and very important in creating the living accommodation. I think where the criticism often comes is that tenants find it difficult, you know, to... um, have landlords, you know, uh, answer their calls, uh, attend to things that need to be attended. And there are some people living in absolute squalid conditions and landlords just taking money and not doing anything for them. There are, you know, you know that yourself. Listen, like, I, I remember one time I, I got I got ambushed in a, in an, in a radio station, right? Um, because you were saying, well, what about this particular premises where there was X amount of people living in there? And I'm like, but you comparing a landlord who to you comparing a landlord to someone like that, that's like telling Katie Taylor that she shouldn't be throwing punches at people because somebody got hurt in a fight outside a nightclub. They're completely different. They're worlds apart. It doesn't make sense whatsoever. Those people are basically criminals that do that stuff. There's rules, there's laws we have to play around with. Sorry, there's rules and laws that we have to avoid by. And you can't be playing around with these things because at the end of the day, there's fire issues, there's all these different things that need to be need to be adhered to but there's just you know the the, the landlords take the flack we're the fall guys you know and mm. I get asked to go and speak to people as a landlord and a lot of times like I'd be a representative of one of the landlord associations and they ask to send a representative and then I rock up and you know I'm 20 years younger than most and pretty much all of them there I'm not as well spoken as these people expect and they're like your job I'm like yeah what's the problem here you know and they just they, they have this stereotype typical view of what a landlord is and you know, it's not me anyways that's for mm. sure you know yeah and i know what you're saying you know it's like any game uh cowboys or cowgirls give a bad name to so many people but there are a lot of great people out there who are very attentive and as you say there are laws and regulations and they should be implemented in in full um you know, when you, when you sit here today and you have those ambitions that you talk about there in terms of what you'd like to do and, and where you'd like to go, is bricks and mortar still something? You know, people were burned to the hilt, like yourself, during the crash. Do you, you obviously still believe in bricks and mortar. Well, that's all I know. And, and I believe that people will always need to live somewhere. So that's, you know, I, that's what I was saying at the start. I'm, I, I don't get involved in anything that's complex in any way. I just, you know, a three-bedroom house with a front garden and a back garden, that's what I will buy. I don't do anything speculative. I'm not really building or anything like that. Um, a lot of the stuff that we buy is properties that were getting sold to other family homes and they're out of the rental stock, so we bring them back in. Um, look, it, it, it's the game I know. It's where I've hung my hat and I'll, I'll go and be the best I can at that and, and create value and give good quality homes to all of my tenants in the process. Do you know when you got wrapped last year, sure, you know what I'm going to ask you now, it was what, summertime last year, there was the thing appeared on TikTok, you talking about <laughs> packing people in. Tell us about that. What happened there? Yeah. I was a, it, was a, it was a crazy... Well, look, it was something that... So what happened was, um, the TikTok platform came out and I said, OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to do this. So we put a couple of different videos out there just to see what people would, how, how people would react. And one of them was where I actually got a house for free. So I put a video on TikTok. It's still there. You can go and see how I actually own a house for free. And then the other one was I was just giving some cash away. And then the other one was I said, I'll just test a little bit of outrage. So we bought a house in the estate where I, where I live. It's actually from, um, from my sister. And I made a video saying we're going, to put, we're going to put like four sets of bunk beds in the sitting room. And we're going to put the family upstairs, the family downstairs. And we're going to charge more for the dogs because the, one of them has a rent. Ah, they were... The people went absolutely bananas over it. But it just goes to show that you can give 
pretty much life changing, wealth creating advice to people. And then you can give them a reason to give out and they'll opt to uh, take the reason to give out, you know. Mm. 100 million, Joe. Well, are you well on the road? Uh, I think we're like 12% there or something. <laughs> Jesus, you're not doing bad, boy, I'll tell you that. 12%. Uh, you know, many people dream of it and think it's a dream and hope that it'll happen with the lottery numbers. Are you saying to finish off today, this is well, there I, for can anybody? I something there. Actually, can I tell you something? This, for me, was a dream. It was a dream for a long time, and then you just keep dreaming, and then you take a step forward, and you're like, whoa, that was actually easy. Let's take another step forward. And then you take another step, and you realise that the steps forward that you are worried about, they're nearly like the boogeyman. You know, for the kid, you have to show them that the boogeyman doesn't exist under the bed. And then like, whoa, like we can absolutely, absolutely achieve anything that we want in life if we just commit to it and be focused and work every single day towards it. I'm going to leave them with those words to ponder on late lunch this afternoon. I appreciate you joining me. You are a fascinating story and it's great to hear you came through without having to go bankrupt and you're making strides forward and you have that ambition. Boy, oh boy, bottle it and sell it, Joe. <laughs> Thank you for your time today, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That's Joe Doyle there. What a story. The man, well, you heard it there. He did lose. He lost big time, but he's come back and come back strong indeed. Just a... Happened to be pointed in his direction, saw the story and delighted I could have a chat with him on the show this afternoon. We got the picture, didn't we? We got the picture. I see it. Hold on a second here. Let me just open it up. Peter... Thank you so much. I think we've shared it as well, or we will be sharing. Yes, we're sharing it on our social media. There he is. The pig himself. The Ulster Bank one. I mentioned the top of the show there. Sorry, the hippo. What am I talking about, a pig? The hippo. Henry Hippo. I'm getting a little bit mixed up there. Uh, but thank you, Peter, so much for sending me in the picture of your Henry Hippo. And it's sitting on a John Moore, a Michael Moore book. Yes, look, uh, Michael, I actually watched one of Michael Moore's uh, films. I went back and watched it recently. Bowling at Columbine. My God, it's still as uh, telling today, that movie. If you get a chance to look at it, it's on Sky, I think, at the moment. I just happened to see the book under the lovely uh, picture you sent of Henry Hippo. He's red. Ulster Bank, a little on him as well. But did he just come in red? Uh, Henry, uh, did he just come in red, the hippo? The Ulster Bank hippo? Peter's is in red. Maybe they were all in red. Or were there other colours of Henry hippos? Have you got a Henry hippo saving box? If you have, WhatsApp it into me. Till I take a look at it. 086-1800-658. God, it brings back memories when I see Henry there. Holy God, I might... Oh, sorry. Just have an update. Yes, just have an update there. There's another hippo in with a little blue polka dress on it as well. Is that a hippo from, from Ulster Bank? Well, it is. It's very similar looking. Bit different, maybe. But another hippo from Breege with a blue polka dot dress. Have you got a Henry hippo? Let us know. Get in touch with us on the show. Back in a moment. If you're just joining us, welcome to Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. You can listen to us on the radio, 95.8. On the app, you'll hear us. If you're listening on the app now, welcome to the show or online at lmfm.ie. Uh, we received notepad stickers with the hippo in a a lovely presentation folder. Thank you indeed. Uh, I had a navy 
Ulster Bank Henry Hippo Jerry. So it did come in other colours. If you have one, WhatsApp it in to us, please. 086-1800-658. So there you are. It was in a couple of colours. Now, you've been following the story. Well, I have as well. Because I'm fascinated by space travel. Yes, NASA's Perseverance rover landed on Mars yesterday. Do you know how far Mars is away from the Earth? Care to guess? 206.49 206.49 million kilometres. That'd be a long old walk, wouldn't it? Even though I'm doing the walking myself. Um, and it blasted off on the 30th of July last year. And what speed is it travelling at towards Mars? Would you care to guess? Wouldn't like to get in the way. 12,000 miles per hour. <laughs> now you see it, now you don't. And look, in tribute to all the people at NASA and a wonderful achievement, I think this is the most appropriate song for us today. It's Bowie and Life on Mars. <laughs> David Bowie and Life on Mars celebrating the landing of NASA's Perseverance rover on Mars yesterday. You would late lunch on LMFM radio. Coming after news and weather at two on the show. If you can't sleep, we'll do our best for you with Helena Tuberty. Stay with us. Thanks, Katrina. I love your Henry Hippo money box, the Ulster Bank one. Yes, Ulster Bank leaving Ireland over the coming years. But many people with the money boxes, yours is Navy. Breed, yes, you're right. The polka dot hippo is an Ulster Bank one indeed. And there were other colours as well. Amazing that people have those little saving boxes out there. They were issued many years ago and they reissued them then again in more recent times. I'm walking, you know, I'm doing this... 40 minutes for 40 days. Yes, 40 days and nights for Slav. For Slav Vavro, I'll tell you again, he was 13 when I met him here on late lunch with his mam, Nadia. He's been going through a cancer journey. He's 16 now. He's been twice abroad for procedures which were very costly and he's had one recently in Temple Street Hospital. And I'm walking every day to raise awareness about this young man because they need help, the family. They really do. They're going through the toughest of times. So I'm going to uh, walk 40 minutes for 40 days. I've done two already, day three today. I'm a little bit sore on the calves. Well, thanks be to God, my daughter's getting me a proper pair of shoes for the walk. But I'm only away again today. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and I've also uh, given the hooch, the nudge for the Lenten season, the 40 days as well. And any monies, and I will know what I'll have saved on the beer. And I'm also contributing, this is from myself, what I'll save and uh, every kilometre I walk, I will make a contribution as well to Slav's Fund in the end. If you can help me or would like to join with me, don't feel any pressure. If you can at all, go to gofundme.com and if you check out Oxygen for Slav, the GoFundMe page is there. And I thank you in advance for your generosity. She's been a good friend of ours on Late Lunch for many a day and we've covered a range of topics over the years. I even had the honour to launch one of her books and I, it was a great early evening. I remember it well. She is a fertility coach and therapist and she's back with us today to speak in particular about insomnia. Helena Tuberty, hello. Hello, Jerry. How are you? You're sleeping well with all the walking. <laughs> I, I am actually sleeping well. I will say that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've never really had a problem, and maybe from time to time in my life, you know, when you'd be a bit under stress or that, of course, the sleep might go out to the, w- the window when things are racing through your head. But normally, I do sleep well. But Helena, you can confirm for listeners, lack of sleep at the moment and in the last year is a growing problem huge problem and again as you say related to anxiety so that's why I decided to do good night zoom on a Monday night 
And I was flabbergasted at the response. I thought a few people might join me. Um, just, you know, I'm a hypnotherapist, so sleep is a very important basic for anything I do with my clients, uh, fertility or anything else. Sleep underpins all our mental health and physical well-being. And there's some incredible neuroscience coming out of Stanford at the moment about ways of managing to sleep better. So I thought I'd just bring this and make Monday night an early night for people, 9.30, uh, get into bed in the jammies, and I will bore them off to sleep. <laughs> and it's not that you're boring one or two. You've been inundated, haven't you? <laughs> I was actually, it's been wonderful. Yes. And, you know, the, the responses are incredible. All the DMs, you know, people showing me pictures from their Fitbits. The first time they've accessed deep sleep in months. Mm. And well, now look, it's just feeling good. Now, Helena, we, we want to cut to the chase here and give a few pointers to listeners today and then we'll tell them before you finish how they can join you. But I come back just for a moment to that point. Is it generally an underlying concern or worry and this thing of ruminating and everything flying through your head? Is that the biggest cause of not getting a good night's sleep? It's actually one of them. And I suppose we leave sleep to chance, you know. We talk about, oh, I got a good night's sleep. Whereas, in fact, I believe that you need to take a good night's sleep and, you know, in the same way, we, look, we know how many steps we need to take, don't we, Jerry? We know how we many do. calories we should be taking, how much roughage, all of that. But we don't really know so very much about the process of composing ourselves for a decent night's sleep. And I suppose there's some very simple basics we all know. And in fact, I was only talking to Anne too, you know, room junkie. And we were talking about interior design, making your bedroom, you know, um, just for... For rest and recreation, shall we say, and to make sure that you have a very good mattress, a decent pillow, good curtains, that it's dark, well ventilated, no screens and all of the basics that we know. And everybody's sick of hearing about that. So I guess one of the important things we forget is that, um, you know, coming up to the weekend, we're inclined to think I'll catch up on sleep, whereas in fact we should get up at the same time. It's regular, metronomically regular amounts of sleep going to bed really quite early. Um, let's take a sort of a, a European view. Our German cousins are great at that. In bed early. Um, as your grandmother used to say, a couple of hours before midnight is worth two afterwards. So a regular amount of sleep, avoiding the old caffeine, actually from about 4 p.m. And when you were exercising, to get the walk or the run in early in the day. And the really amazing finding is that we have neurons in our retinas. We've got bits of brain at the back of our eyes. They're photosensitive to light, obviously. And that means that if in the morning we wake up, we should head to the back door or to an open window and get light into our eyes. It sets our melatonin to come on to surge 14 or 16 hours later. And that sets us up for feeling sleepy enough, for getting into the deep states of sleep and having a good night. So what you do first thing in the morning within one hour of waking is vitally important for you. And then, of course, anybody taking a nap, you know, with kids, never after three o'clock. That is the witching hour. Take a wine down before bed. Uh, make sure, you know, if you are having a bath, that you get a good chance to cool down after it because your temperature is vital when it comes to sleeping. You need to have a temperature drop to go to sleep. And in fact, temperature starts rising about two hours before we wake up. 
So um, temperature is part of that sleep-wake cycle, the circadian rhythm, which allows our whole body to you know, replenish, regenerate every cell. It allows us to process. Um, another way we actually talk about having overnight therapy. You sleep to remember and you sleep to forget. Yeah. So you're encoding all the learning of the day mm. and you're also blurring the edges of emotional things that have happened during the day. Come back to this. I've just picked on something there you said, and I think it's really important. You know the way we all have fantastic heating systems in our houses now and they're insulated to the hilt, you know, and there's a push for this with the uh, green energy move, etc. Would you say, you know, where houses, the heating is running right up to 10, 11 o'clock at night and the bedrooms are really warm upstairs. Are you saying we should knock the heat earlier in the evening and let things cool down? Absolutely. We should be warm in our bed. You know, yeah. the uh, nice fleecy jammies and yes. the nice uh, quilt or whatever. And um, having a ventilator room where there's actually fresh air. Yeah, you know, so, so the room should crash. be cool, Helena. You should be cool. going into a cool room and warming up when you get into the bed. Now, there is Warm a very good... Yes, that's a very yeah, good tip. Now, here's the other thing. You said about the Germans going to bed early and you're talking to a, <laughs> you're talking to a night owl here, to be honest with you. What do you say is a good time to go to rest? What is early? I would say, actually, anybody who's up in the morning around seven-ish, you know, bed by ten. Ten o'clock. Yeah. 10 o'clock for... Reading before bed. Now, different people need different amounts of sleep. And, you know, finding out what your own sleep cycle is like is important. But generally, we're actually in what they call sleep debt now. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of people are walking around jet lagged and nobody has been near a Ryanair flight for over a year. Mm. And there's, you know, all the signs and symptoms of that going on because people aren't getting good sleep, enough of it. Okay, um, now yeah. here, here's another question for you. The, come back to the retina, because this is uh, something I've never heard about for, before, the retina. And you, so when you say, when you get up in the morning, go to the light, go towards the light, open a window or a door or something, and just look out, look out for a short space of time. Is that what you're saying? That's right, Jerry. I'm saying that you look at your bright, smiling face and see the light. Um, when you uh, wake in the morning, um, heading outdoors or opening a window, light is measured, sunlight's measured in lux. And, you know, on a grey day like today, you might get 5,000 lux going on. In California at the moment, they have about 36,000 naturally. So uh, behind glass, it drops about 70 times. So if you're inside the patio door, you're not really getting very much light. So open the patio door, take your cup of tea out, look at the sky. Obviously, don't damage your eyes looking into Mm. the sun, but stimulate those neurons that are in the retina. During, um, em, you know, the embryonic development, um, the eyes develop, the retina develops, and there's actual pieces of brain that extrude into the sockets. Okay. And, and this, they are purely photosynthesis. Yes. Photo- and this has an impact hours later when you go to lie down. You said as well, exercise early. A lot of people go walking, you know, evening time, even late evening, you'll see them at the moment. Why is that not a great idea if you're struggling with your sleep? Now, some people can do it and there's no bother. But if you're if, uh, living with insomnia, why is late walking bad? Basically, stimulating your system when your system needs to be winding down. So if you can do it, if you can understand this and then, you know, uh, compensate for it by winding down, um, you know, doing non-work related things. And of course, everybody is working so Mm. long and Mm. so hard at home. 
and you know the lines have blurred. You know, I noticed particularly, and with my um, hypnotic meditation for sleep, I was particularly thinking of you know healthcare workers and teachers who are now answering emails at half ten at night to parents, and they're just not away from their screens. So the sense of having a decompression time is really, really important, whatever it is you do in an evening and taking that time. So if you come in from your walk to cool down, because, you know, it's the sense of being all hot and bothered, um, your system needs to reach a certain temperature. And that's something that Fitbits should have is monitoring a 24-hour temperature so you can find the low point and find the high point, which is usually late afternoon. Um and then two hours before you wake. Okay. And it just makes all the difference when you know these things and you can work with your body. Yes. And, you know, get what you need. No napping in the afternoon. I think that's a good suggestion. What about food? Because food obviously has an influence. Eating late. And, and now I've been trying, I mentioned this recently on the show as well, to actually have my, which is my main meal, shortly after six o'clock. And then really, that's it. Nothing else. Go right through the night then until breakfast the next Next morning, I'm giving it a good 12, 13 hours. Is that a good idea? Is that helpful? Absolutely wonderful, because when you eat food, your insulin level rises. And that's fine. Insulin has a job to do, but it needs to just go back to a baseline. So we really should consider, first of all, having a five-hour clear span between eatings and feedings and troughings. So we're not snacking or grazing that we actually just give our system a chance to go back and use the fuel that has come aboard. Then set off again, eat well again, eat a good, lovely big meal, and then have another five hours. And we should, um, you know, the sense of breakfast like a queen, lunch like a princess, and uh, dine like a pauper. Yes. You know, it's great for snakes. A snake can eat a goat and sleep for two weeks, but we can't. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) I've actually seen that on on National Geographic now that you remind me, actually, that actual uh, event happening that you mentioned there. Look, uh, and it goes without saying, screen time in bedrooms, TVs, you've alluded to that already, and young people, you know, up all night on, on their phones, bad bad idea but here tell me this is there anything you know you know you hear people I'm taking something to make me sleep Ah, good point good point first of all you need to check with your friendly fabulous pharmacist if any of the meds you're on for asthma cardiac problems blood pressure if they are affecting your sleep and if they might be taken at a slightly different time of day that can have an impact and the other thing is that A lot of people think, oh, I'll take melatonin because that's the sleepy hormone. In fact, melatonin has an effect on fertility. And in children, children have a massive amount of melatonin, and that actually keeps them from entering puberty. At puberty, it changes, and then you get the sleepy teen. Mm. And to get teens to wake at a decent time, if you can have light coming on in their room two hours before they wake up, they won't thank you for it. Apparently, it works. <laughs> sure, they won't. Now, the other bogey man, a bogey woman. Oh, yes, that's a huge issue. You're so right there. Please. Sleep apnea is massive. And I think we are inclined to feel like, because obviously we know that women don't sweat and they don't swear, so women don't snore. And in fact, um, it is an increasing problem. And, you know, sometimes it can be postural. Sometimes it can be if we're carrying a little bit of extra weight at certain stages. But if there is any snoring or gasping at nighttime, 
that changes the CO2 levels. It's not good for the system. Worth checking out because there's so much that can be done now. Um, CPAP machines and this sleep study unit up in Vincent's. So it is worth, if your partner is keeping you awake snoring, it's not doing their cardiac health any good. As okay. well as driving you insane. Okay, that's important. Thank God I have a couple of extra rooms. Now, here's a, just a one that's come in to me. Uh, will you ask Helene about teenagers who can't sleep no matter what and are exhausted going to school? Do the same uh, suggestions same apply? apply? Same principles apply. Same principles. If, you know, when you, if you're getting up at the morning at whatever time and you're getting that sunlight, that daylight into your system um, within an hour of waking, and crucially as well, if that's within about an hour or so of the sunrise, the orange-blue contrast is at a certain level. You can also get them in the evening. You know, when the sun is setting, you get the same yes. thing, that, the, that contrast. So you will set their circadian clock a little bit better. And again, it's the, you know, the colas, anything with caffeine in it, um, nothing like that from three o'clock in the afternoon. The half-life of caffeine is really ridiculously long. Yes. So, um, and they are inclined, actually the human, you know, as, as mammals, we're programmed to be alert, stay alert, keep alert. It's easy for us to kind of keep going, keep going, keep going. I remember from night duty, You'd come off after a 12-hour shift at 8 a.m. If you got started doing anything, you'd be up till 11 or 12. Yeah. You'd lose. Do you know what I mean? So that's what happens teens as well. Yeah. And the thing about the screens, you don't really need, um, you know, these special glasses, blue, blue protecting ones. It's the brightness. Any, we're very hypersensitive to yeah. bright light stimulation between 10 and 5 a.m. Okay. That's why I say go to bed before that or read Go to bed but before teens, is it? With teens, it's the brightness of that um, stimulating light that really sends them into overdrive. Causes the problems. Just quickly, question from a listener. Does the alignment of the bed make any difference, north, south, east, west? It should be 23 and a quarter degrees east with uh, (laughs) an apple tree hanging out. uh, No, no, actually, um, I I would leave that up to the feng shui specialist. Okay, that's for uh, somebody else. Room junkie Junkie Anne Tui would be a great woman to check out on Facebook for that. Um, Okay. But no, nothing I know. Yeah, okay, so uh, room junkie, what did you say there, room? Room Junkie, she's Anne Tui and she does a live Facebook every day at three o'clock and they're absolutely brilliant. Okay, well check her out there for the alignment of the bed. And uh, just before you go, good night Zoom. Can anybody join in? Anybody can join. All they need to do is go over to Instagram, Helena Tuberty, and um, you'll see details there of how to join in. Okay, and it happens on Monday nights at half past nine. And with a voice like that, sure, I'm nearly asleep myself. (laughs) Helena, God bless you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. The wonderful Helena Tuberty there. Hope it has helped you in some way uh, to catch more shut-eye. If you don't have it, it's a scourge. It really is. Late lunch, LMFM radio. Still to come on the show, Keen Sullivan will be paying tribute to his late sister Arwen with us. Uh, Conor Nahin's joining us. In addition of the Dundalk Democrat, 170 years old, found in Cork in recent days. We have sport. We have John Denver. Why the hell would you go anywhere else? Stay with us on Late Lunch. Now, shout out to everyone in the North East who are getting their first vaccines at GPs today. Well done to all concerned. Uh, the vaccine distribution certainly ramping up as we speak. And another first today, Ireland's 
First Wildlife Rehabilitation Hospital in Meath. Heard it on the news as well. We had them on here. We had it first. They've opened today and we wish them well. It's a big day there for all concerned. Now, Simon Sterngales, wonderful club in County Meath, senior championship winners in recent times, lost a linchpin of the club in recent days. In fact, you could say he was the godfather of the club. Mickey Clark passed away. He's the president of the club at the moment and he's involved in Simonstown from its very establishment in 1965. And we've had a lot of people on expressing their sadness and sending in messages about him and many remember him on the sidelines with the magic sponge. Ah, the magic sponge had cured everything. Children down the years remember it. The fellas on the field and girls remember it as well. But uh, look, he was a great one and he will be missed and he'll never be forgotten. And from all the past and present players, members and the family that is Simonstown Gales, you know, they think of him today and his family and will always be grateful for what he did. And for Mickey Clark today on Late Lunch, we play this one. This sums him up. Kirsty McCall and Days on your late lunch this Friday afternoon, remembering the late, great Mickey Clark from Simonstown Gales. And I'll also urge you to remember all the local businesses across the North East at this time who need our support more than ever. I've been mentioning this each day to you because I remember them because they've been very good to sporting clubs I've been involved with, to schools, to charities... And we need to remember them at this time because businesses are the cornerstones of our villages, towns and counties. And remember, they employ our family, friends and neighbours too. So it's important to think local when you are buying. Wherever you can. I know there's some things you can't, but there's most you can get from a local outlet as well. And remember, even though their doors are shut, they have website presences now. They're online.ie. Go there and buy from them. But the ones that are open, local as well, that can open, do support them at this time. And thank you for doing that and thinking about that when you're shopping next. Up next on Late Lunch, we have a real poignant piece for you. Arwen Sullivan passed away in tragic circumstances last Easter and her brother Keen pays tribute to her. Easter 2020 is a time that will live forever with the Sullivan family from Stamullen. Daughter Arwen died by suicide, leaving her family and friends devastated. A little earlier, I spoke with Arwen's brother, Keen, who began by describing his beautiful sister. Arwen, she was 23 when she passed, but she was like always full of life, so fashionable. She was always willing to help others as well. Like, so she was a trained physio, so I was always haranguing her with, queries about oh, I have a sore elbow, I have a sore hip and all that stuff and, and so I think for the rest of the family so she was willing to help so like would be smiling her face and always happy to, to help and be around others. When I was sort of chatting to her friends after she had passed, you know, always had a really loud laugh and always kind of had a flair for the dramatics and stuff like that so I thought that was quite nice to discover. Let's go back to Easter Sunday last year, which was the 12th of April. And of course, we were in lockdown at that stage. Arwen was at home in the family house in Stamullen. So yeah, on Easter Sunday, there, it was like a day like no other, really. Her boyfriend had moved in with my parents uh, just for lockdown. And, the, you know, for what would happen in the evening, there was no signs that something you know, tragic and, and dramatic and awful was going to happen. She was in good form. She was laughing with her friends. It's funny, like, when you find out someone has died from suicide, 
you often think that you know this is a culmination of loads of little events that led up to it, but there was no sign leading up to it. She was in great form, she was laughing, and like, that's kind of what really exacerbated the shock. Easter Sunday goes by and she goes to bed, and within hours, life for your family is just turned on its head. Absolutely, yeah. It turned around like so, so quickly, you know. You, you think everything's going fine at Easter Sunday, and then next thing you know, I got a phone call with the you know, horrific news. Out of the blue, I'm sure that moment still stays with you and will stay with you for so long when you when you get a call like that unexpectedly. You never forget a moment like that. Like, and you're just cast into shock. You, your body goes into, you know, panic mode and just survival mode. And, you know, you can't stop thinking. And one of the first things I said to my parents was that we need to see this as her brain malfunctioned. She didn't do this. This wasn't her. You know, it was a medical condition that went wrong. No different than if her heart had stopped, no different if her lungs had stopped. It's no different than that. That was the way I had to view it at the time to sort of process it because, you know, the heroine we know and loved wouldn't do something like that. During her lifetime, did she ever show any signs of anxiety or worry? You mentioned she was an outgoing person, she was confident. Was there anything there do you pick through that in the aftermath of something like this? Well, I know she had said to my mum that she had some anxiety, you know, and she'd been to doctors and stuff over anxiety. But, you know, there was nothing to suggest that this was going to happen. And, you know, she seemed really in control of it. And she thought, I think she was in control of it as well. You know, she went and she had done loads of research on how exercise can help you deal with sort of stress and anxiety and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, of course, there was some anxiety, but sure, who doesn't have a bit of anxiety during all this pandemic and stuff like that? So, yeah, it absolutely was definitely out of the blue. So she's uh, taken to hospital, I know, and you're not sure what the situation is for, for a wee while, but when the news does come through that she's passed, just unbelievable outpouring of sadness and grief from her friends and everybody that knew her. In Ireland, we've learned how to do funerals and sort of death in one way. And I actually think it's a reasonably good way, which is sort of everyone gathers around the house and someone's making tea and someone's making sandwiches and cutting cake and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, we can't do any of those things. So we kind of just had to make do ourselves. So, you know, her friends were sort of gathering outside the house. People had sort of left a sort of vigil of flowers and stuff outside our house. When we were to go to the 10-person funeral, there was like a guard of honour in our estate. And, you know, people in our community were so good to us, just how they supported us through whatever means they could that were within the restrictions. And it just was such a strange experience and further isolating to have to go through it all and have to go through it all and not know oh can I see my friend can I hug my friend who can come to the funeral it just it was all made so much more difficult due to COVID and I'm sure there's plenty of people listening who will know what that's like as well unfortunately. How do you feel you know as you approach almost a year since she passed away how are you keen? So I'm actually not doing too badly. You know, I say that with the proviso that, you know, these things come in waves. So I'm just maybe at a period of low tide at the moment. Maybe things will get worse and, I, and I'm, I'm ready for that. But I'm not doing too well. And, and the work we've been doing with Share Joy, which is the charity we've set up to commemorate her, has been a really, really nice way to commemorate and celebrate her because we never got that moment of public celebration of her life because we never got a big funeral We were planning a memorial. We can't do that now because the restrictions are still here. So this, when we finally launched Share Joy, this was a great 
opportunity and I finally felt yes, this is the moment that we get to celebrate Arwen and keep her legacy going on in, in the sort of public realm. Tell our listeners about Share Joy, what it is. Sure, so Share Joy uh, sort of came about because, like I said, we couldn't have that sort of memorial to celebrate her. So we just wanted to do something with, and we kind of came up with this, well, I didn't come up with it. <laughs> My mum got onto a childhood friend, Maeve, who reached out to a... Uh, Journalist Anne-Marie Tomczyk, who works for Glamour and has worked for Vogue and the BBC and stuff in the past. And they wanted to sort of do something in, in memory of Arwen. And Arwen was such a fashionista, like she always spent a lot of time in, in, in finessing how she looked. And she'd never be caught in the same thing twice, but she'd still wear the same clothes, but she'd just style it differently. So we knew it had to be about fashion and we knew it had to be about mental health. So between the three of them, they came up with this idea of selling clothes, secondhand clothes, on Depop and all the funds would go to mental health. So it launched on Blue Monday in January. There was 20 Irish women who were donating items of clothing for Pieta House. Um, and that was on Depop, which Aaron was an avid Depop user herself. So we were really happy to find out that in our first two weeks, we raised 13.5 thousand euro for Pieta House, which is just such a such a substantial amount so we're really really proud of that oh marvelous what a sum of money to raise so quickly but it doesn't stop here absolutely not no we're going to keep going because uh, it was such a success we're happy so we've more people lined up to and um, who are giving items as well so we will be in um, over the next few weeks so if people are listening and they want to find out it's over on instagram it's sharejoy underscore ie so like all one word um, and the Depop shop will be depop.com forward slash share joy. And there's, you know, celebrities, sort of big and small, donating items from, you know, Gucci to H&M. So sort of the full gambit of, of price point. And we're, I think it's important to have sort of size inclusion as well, because fashion should be for everybody. And, you know, there'll be, there's boutique owners who are reaching out to help and, you know, people have been very good at offering their services and helping us out in whatever way they can. And, yeah, it's just, it's, we're trying to grow a really, really nice community that sort of centers around mental health and looking after each other while still being sort of sustainable and fashion-focused. I think it's a terrific concept and it's wonderful to remember Arwen Sullivan with Share Joy and what you're doing there will be of such benefit to so many others. Well done to you all, to your family and friends and everybody that's been involved. When you think of what happened on that Easter Sunday stroke Monday out of the blue, there is a message there, isn't there, Keen, for others? Obviously, there's been a lot of thinking, a lot of time to think and locked in about what happened there. And I think the message that I took away from it all is that, you know, we often hear the campaign, which is, you know, it's okay not to be okay, which absolutely is true. But I kind of feel if you're not the person suffering and you know somebody who is suffering from a mental illness, it's important to sort of activate a community around that person. Reach out to maybe a friend of a friend and, you know, check in on that person. Look after them as a sort of community around them rather than keeping it one-on-one. I, I think personally, from our experience, that was really good for us to sort of piece together the puzzle we all sort of have a bit of the puzzle. So the more information we have, the more we can, we can help the person who, who's struggling. And also on that as well, we found that it's very easy around mental health because there's such a stigma, because people don't really like talking about it. There's often a lot of euphemisms as well. So people might say, oh, somebody isn't doing well or someone's a bit under the weather. Whereas, you know, there's proper names for these things like depression or anxiety. So you wouldn't euphemize a tumour if someone had cancer. You wouldn't euphemize, you know, 
uh, pneumonia, you know, call it what it is and address it as it is because all this will help the people who are suffering in the long run. Well said. Fine words and and a wonderful message to finish today. We remember Arwen Sullivan on Late Lunch and we send our best wishes to you, Keen, your mum and dad and all of the family as well. And you're doing real good for others. You really are. Share joy, folks. Check it out. Keen Sullivan, I appreciate you joining me on Late Lunch today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yes, Lana Del Rey there and Ride, a uh, very, very favourite song and one treasured by Arwen Sullivan and we play it in her memory on Late Lunch today. And again, I thank Keen for uh, that uh, powerful conversation we had there a few moments ago. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Friday afternoon. I hope you're all looking ahead to the weekend. A lot of rain tomorrow, folks, but wrap up and get out not so bad on Sunday. But the temperatures are lovely, aren't they? The grass is growing. It certainly is. I've been looking front back uh, yesterday and today and it's on the move all right. I'll hold off the mower for another week till the beginning of March and then we'll go at it again. I scarified, I think I told you that, scarified my whole front garden last year. She was only a bed of moss. If you look in your garden, jammed with moss, got a scarifier, ripped the whole lot out of it, got about 80 bags, recycled centre with the whole lot and reseeded. It looked like, it actually looked bare and when you see it now, I've fed it a little in the autumn and it's come on great and there's not a pick of moss and there's other like weeds and that in it but I'll have her like Wimbledon I promise you I'll have her like Wimbledon oh by the way I saw a daffodil I have one daffodil opened just to tell you I must post one daffodil hiding in under a little tree there I have others in pots and others on the way as well but one daff opened and it smiled at me yesterday and I smiled back at it it's the harbinger of spring I know the snowdrops are lovely but the daffs the daffs you just can't beat them you really can't late lunch lmfm radio this friday afternoon when we come back after the break the dundalk democrat yes listen to this an issue has been found that's 170 years old 1862 folks yeah 1862 a copy of the dundalk democrat and people's journal has shown up not in the northeast far from the northeast in the south of the country to tell me more connor nyhan's on the line hello connor hi jory uh, good afternoon thank you very much for joining me on the show well come on tell them the story oh yeah where, where well, did this appear um, from actually a while back there to back in the lead uh, I suppose around 2008 or 2009, we, we got a, an old, I suppose what you call an antique painter's chair, or seat off my father-in-law who passed away since, and we took down orders of it, but in, uh, recently we were doing a bit of trading out, and there was a, there was a, a kind of a concealed, we say, drawer underneath the seat, and there was some documents fill out, including manuscripts from music, but obviously there was a, a copy of, of uh, Dundalk, Dunnacat, and People's Journal from November 1862 fell out of it. You know, and what was unusual in this was, it was actually about the size of the table, really, when you opened it up, but it, you kept falling over until it got to be the size of a, of a modern-day, what you call, I suppose, a tabloid newspaper, you know? Yes. But, yeah, the, I, I only have the front page, you know, because I, I sent it up to, to the Dundalk Democrats so they can be the custodians of it, OK? Yes. It's in, good, it's in very good order. And there was, I just had a few a few advertisements open the front page. The front page was all advertisements. Some of these businesses might be still around. There was a William Tempest printer and stationers. Um... James H. Ellison, China and Warehouse, Dundalk. This is this is what the ad went now. I offer to the trade just live from London a large quantity of teas and excellent order purchased for cash from media houses at 20% below actual value <laughs> and to be sold at such. Then there's black teas, green teas, etc. There was a Robert Daly and Sons in 
they were selling wool and there was a, a crowd called R&P Patterson selling blankets. Yes. Uh, obviously, the winter was coming in at that stage. But obviously, you know, there was, there was no, I'd say, at that stage, shops selling everything. Like, you know, there was all different shops for the restaurants. You know? Yeah, yeah, it was a different world. But it, I can see, and, and I, I know what you're talking about, it was a big sheet of paper that opened yeah. out on a table, and that's the way they came, and it folded down, and then you opened it up, and all the different stories, etc., on yeah. it. But there's one particular story within the newspaper itself. Uh, you're familiar with that one about the sailor? I, I, I don't have it to hand out, but it was in Black Rock, and I was in Black Rock once, obviously, so to see there, but there was some problem with a, with a boat that was there, or a ship, we'll say, and they were, they were actually, they were actually, the tide was out, and they were actually on the sand, actually, trying to get destroyed, and there was some accident, and the boat fell over, and it caught a guy's leg, yeah. you know, yeah. and they tried in vain to get, to get his leg free, there was no crane, obviously, that stage, or whatever, only a bit of horsepower, so they couldn't, and the tide was coming in, and the priest was called, and the priest actually went into the water, in his garments, up to his chest, and blessed the man, and just ducked his head under water and left him there. And the left him. Like, the tide came in yeah. and he was drowned. Oh my! Know, but but they were different times, Joey. Yes, they were. They were well, well different times. It was a moving story, let's just say. To, to yeah, it was of the time. So this is remarkable how it ended up with you, and it's it's great you've sent, as you said, back to the Dundalk Democrat themselves to hold for posterity. But it must be one of the oldest editions oh, around. I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. But what would strike you about it was. The, the language was very good, you know. The, yeah. Like nowadays, you see the ads, and it's just short to the point. But then there was loads of language, like you know. Yeah, you look at you can't beat it. There was no such thing as tweeting or Twitter or whatever you like yeah, to call yeah. about it then. So many uh, words you're confined to. Listen, you've done great. It's a remarkable find, and I thank you for joining me today just to uh, uh, tell us the wee story. Thank you, Connor. Yeah, okay, you're welcome. Okay, Take care of yourself, on. bye-bye. That's bye Connor Nyhan there joining us from Cork. The Dundalk Democrat and People's Journal, 1862. Marvellous, isn't it? It's great. I'm delighted it's been found. It is history. Nigel McKenna's been out to us. He's inquiring why the Dundalk Democrat archives. There's none between the years 1908 and 1912. I'm sure there's a reason, Nigel. We'll try to find out for you. Nice to hear from you today on the show. Hope you're enjoying the the snow on the other side of the Atlantic. A listener was on from Garlow Cross to say she says has clumps of daffodils for the last two to three weeks now. Oh, hot stuff. They're hot stuff over there in Garlow Cross indeed. Well done to you. Uh, Paddy Brady called to say he knew Michael Clark well through Scorn and Oak for many years. He was a true friend. No better person you could ever find, Jerry. A great man. Goodbye, my friend. Just sorry we couldn't meet near the end. Thank you indeed for that, Paddy. Uh, we were talking about Michael Clark a little earlier on on the show. A great man who passed away recently and people loved him. They really, really did. Now my featured artist of the week. Final instalment of the story. Well, it's my take on the story uh, about all these uh, artists I'm featuring. I'm featuring one each week uh, during 2021. It's John Denver this week and John married Annie Martell in June 1967. Of course, she was the woman who inspired Annie's song. They adopted two children, Zachary John and Anna Kate, and the family lived in Aspen, beautiful Aspen, Colorado. Sadly, John and Annie divorced in 1982, and the parting was acrimonious. After a two-year 
courtship. So, uh, subsequently, John married for a second time in 1988 to Cassandra Delaney, an Australian actress, and the couple had a baby girl, Jessie Bell, who was born in May 1989. However, this relationship didn't last either, the couple separating in 1991 and divorcing two years later. Denver, did you know, was an avid skier and a very good golfer. But his greatest interest was in flying. He flew many planes and owned several. He died in a plane crash, flying an experimental craft in Monterey Bay on October 12, 1997. But despite everything he enjoyed in life, it was his music and songs that he brought to us on his old guitar. This old guitar gave me my life and living. Never truer words were spoken or sung about. Yes, his guitar was everything, his songs and his writing. John Denver, timeless, what a beautiful voice, a wonderful musician and I'm so glad I can say I saw him in concert in March 1997. As I told you before, I was in the front row in the point and uh, tragically he died in that plane crash on October 12th that year and uh, what a loss he was to the world of music and entertainment. My artist of the week this week on Late Lunch, the late great John Denver and I'll pick another famous person for you next week and we listen to the songs and hear the story. Friday afternoon and it's a huge weekend of Premier League football. Some great games coming up over the next 72 hours and joining us to preview some of the big ones in the Premier League is the communications manager from Boyle Sports, Leon Blanche. Good afternoon, Leon. Good afternoon to you, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us again. Well, what a pity they can't get into Anfield. Liverpool, Everton, the Merseyside Derby, a mouth-watering tie to look forward to. It certainly is. And I suppose for quite some time, this derby has taken on a huge significance in terms of the respective clubs in their pursuit of trying to qualify for the Champions League next season. And Liverpool's home form hasn't been great. That's really been their Achilles heel uh, so far this season. Looking at Everton, the two games in hand against Fulham and City that they had on most of their rivals, they didn't pick up any points. The Fulham performance was pretty poor. Man City, I thought it was a damage limitation exercise from Carlo Ancelotti. But I think the derby will be different uh, tomorrow at half past five. I think a couple of things really. If Calvert-Lewin is fit, I think he gives Everton an entirely different threat up front. And on Liverpool's side, if Fabinho is able to be past fit to come back maybe into the back four and push Henderson into the middle of the park, that will aid Liverpool. I think it's going to be a very close derby, uh, Jerry. I don't agree that Liverpool are such a short price. Um, it was a good win in the Champions League, keeping a clean sheet. There were, however, a couple of scary moments. Leipzig probably should have scored. But it was a good performance all round by Liverpool. And for that reason, I think they might just shade this, but only by the odd goal. I would not be surprised at all. I think both teams will score, but I think Liverpool might just get the upper hand maybe 2-1. Isn't it strange to be talking of a Liverpool in the context of a place in Europe when we thought we'd be saying uh, they'd be chasing that second championship in a row? But there is only one show in town now. My, how it's changed in a matter of weeks. Manchester City went 10 points clear uh, during the week and 
they're at the Emirates to take on Arsenal last year. Uh, the pupil, Mikel Arteta, did so well against City in Cup and League. But this year, Pep Guardiola has just ruled the roost with City over the Gunners. Yeah, look, he certainly has. And you've got to give credit where credit is due. And Manchester City, to the exception of every other side in the Premier League, they're the ones who have found consistency. And they're just winning football matches. And while everyone else is taking points off each other, City are going further clear. There's no doubt they're going to win the Premier League. Um, I think it'll be a fantastic return when you look um, at what City are doing. What will that be? Three Premier Leagues out of the last four. Mm. But the big one for Guardiola is obviously the Champions League. However, they've got an Arsenal game. They travel to the Emirates. And I do think Arsenal are starting to improve under Arteta. There's a lot of really young players there who I think have got a very exciting future. I would still like to see a couple of additions, um, most notably, in my opinion, in defence. Um, I think they do need a world-class centre-half if they can go and get one in the summer. I think it should be top of their priority list. You look at what, what Man City have done and in terms of they've bought Laporte, they've bought Diaz, and of course the resurgence of John Stone. So they've got three really top-class centre-halves who are playing all vying for two spots. And that only breeds, I think, success. So I think City will win. Um, but I think Arsenal, again... Um, similar to the Merseyside derby, I think both teams will score here, even though City, they only conceded one against Everton. But I like what Arsenal are doing. I think they do um, have a world-class talent in Bakary Saka. Um, I'm really impressed with him. Smith Rowe, he's a really old-fashioned number 10. He wants to get on the ball. He wants to make things happen. I mean, you've got a Bamiyang and you've also got Lacazette. The Gunners do possess goals but so do Manchester City. So I think City will win, but I'm looking forward to watching that game. I think it should be a very exciting game of football. And the other big one this weekend is West Ham against Spurs. Now, who would have thought we'd be saying West Ham for a Champions League place, but David Moyes, he really has this season turned them around. He's done an outstanding job, Jerry, and um, certainly looking um, for plaudits for manager of the year, I think if David Moyes could, could get West Ham even into Europe, I think the top four might just be a stretch too far. But I do feel they have a very realistic chance of finishing in a Europa League spot, which would be a tremendous um, achievement for West Ham and for David Moyes. Now, Tottenham Hotspur, their league form um, just hasn't been great. Similar to Liverpool, they've been dropping an awful lot of points. They won in the Europa League quite comfortably, but it was poor opposition. This would be an entirely different game. And I think this game could hinge upon Mikel Antonio if he's fit or not. He really has been the Hammers' star man up front. He's big, strong, powerful, can link the play, can score goals. If he doesn't play, I do feel West Ham um, are not as good. And I think Tottenham, they'll need to win a big game, Jerry, and maybe going away from their home form, which hasn't been good enough, maybe going um, to face West Ham, it could be an opportunity for Jose Mourinho to try and get the league campaign back uh, on a winning uh, stretch. But however, I'm going to sit on the fence in this one. I think this one could finish a draw. It's very hard to call a winner between West Ham and Spurs. There certainly isn't much between them. Leon, as usual, thank you so much for joining us and looking forward to our chat again this time next week.
All the best, Jerry. Yeah, big games in the Premier League. And remember, you can uh, tune in to those matches here on LMFM Radio, starting out with the lunchtime game tomorrow at half past 12, the LMFM app, or you can listen live on lmfm.ie. That's our lot on late lunch for another week. We're into the final week of February next week. God almighty, it's flying by, isn't it? Look, keep safe, keep well, face hands you know the usual wear the mask keep the distance as well keep doing what we're doing we've got to dig in for a little bit longer and uh, hopefully the uh, light is on the horizon with vaccines picking up all around the country over the coming weeks and good to hear that schools are returning as well i want to say a big thank you to my producer louise walsh as always couldn't do it without her to eamon doyle to our guests during the week and especially to you our listeners who join in the conversation every day and tune in. We appreciate it very, very much. Have a safe weekend. Enjoy and do come back and join us for a brand new week of late lunch from 1.30 on Monday. Eddie's coming next with The Drive and we leave you in the company of Westlife and Fool again. Have a good weekend. See you then. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.